Amen. 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 And Lord, that is our heart this morning. Uh, Lord, we just can't wait until we're singing that song around your throne forever and ever and ever. Oh Lord, what a blessing to get a, a taste of that this morning. Father, I pray as we go to your word, Lord, that we would come with awe and reverence for it. And Lord, that it would go out with power, not the words of men, but Lord, the word of your spirit. And Father, that we would receive what you have for us. So Lord, our focus this morning wouldn't be on how this message applies to someone else. Lord, how, to, how it applies to me. Lord, may you be glorified. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. And hold on to your hats. Now, I think it's very important. How many of you read a chapter ahead? Now, lying is a sin, right? Okay, how many? All right. Heavy stuff, huh? Okay, here's the good news. God is in control. Amen? We must remember, even as we come to difficult and very ominous texts like the one we're going to look at this morning, we must not lose sight that this book continues to be the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Even as we read this chapter this morning, we're going to learn more about the power and the character and the nature of our Savior. We're going to stare Satan right in the face and his followers this morning in the text. But we're going to continue to see the sovereignty of God and of our Savior, the Lord, that even as Satan sets out to do his worst, that God is in control and he will use even Satan's attacks to bring about his perfect will. You know, it's hard for us to understand that. But here's the reality. Satan will do his worst and God will use it for his best. And God will use even, allow Satan to even be a tool that he uses or an instrument that he uses to bring about his perfect will. And so in this morning's text, again, since the very beginning, we've seen Satan at, at his work. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and we know even there it was Satan who tempted you know, Adam and Eve to fall into sin. From the very beginning, you know, humanity and the world has been the battleground that Satan, since he was cast out of heaven, has come and sought to derail humanity, to take as many of us with him to hell, and to keep us from the place that God has prepared for us in heaven, to bring destruction upon the earth. We know he seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy. So he launched his first assault in the Garden of Eden, where he successfully tempted uh, Adam and Eve to disobey God. And what are the consequences of that? You know what? Nobody would die today had there been no sin in the Garden. There would be no separation for God, and there would have been no need for a Savior. But as soon as man fell in the garden, we see the grace of our God in that he brought about or put into motion the plan to come and redeem sinful man. It says even in Genesis chapter 3 that he will send a savior for us. After the fall, God graciously promised a savior who would come and destroy Satan and deliver people from his power. Satan countered that by tempting all of mankind who moved away from God and got so bad and so far away from God and so wicked that God had to bring righteous judgment in the flood of Noah. Satan's torment of righteous uh, Job reveals his hatred for the godly. You know, we're going to see the character of Satan this morning, but praise God, we're going to see the character of God as well. And so Satan hates those who walk with God. So that means Satan hates you. 
I don't like when people hate me. Get over it, because Satan hates you. Amen? You know what? Why did he, look what he did to Job. With God's permission, very important, he destroyed his possessions, he killed his children, he ruined his health, and Job was left with an embittered wife who said, curse God and die, accusatory friends, and unanswered questions as to why God would allow it. And in all of that, Job remained loyal. What an example for all of us, amen? As he did with Job, Satan continually accuses believers before God. He does it now. Where, what is he doing right now? He's the accuser of the brethren. So along with attacking believers throughout history, he has also you know, had Israel in his target. He's always had a hatred for God's chosen people through whom the Messiah would come. He stood up against Israel, moved David to number the people, and the result was God's judgment, killing 70,000 Israelites. Throughout history, Satan lured Israel into idolatry, immorality, and disobedience for which God would bring judgment upon his people. In the tribulation period, as we will see as we continue on, he once again is attempting to destroy God's chosen people. From the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, who was waiting for him? When his earthly ministry began, remember at his baptism, he went out into the wilderness to pray. There he fasted for 40 days, and who showed up and tempted him? Satan did. And how did the Lord respond to Satan's temptations? With what? With the word of God. And that's the example for all of us as well. He tempted Jesus for 40 days as he began his public ministry, attempting to thwart his ministry even before it began. This long and relentless war was waged against Jesus, also by the Jewish leaders who are referred to in Scripture as belonging to Satan. Satan never ceased to try to use those closest to Jesus against him. He sifted Peter, he enticed Judas, but you know what? Even Judas' betrayal brought about our Savior's greatest victory. Guys, I'm trying to drive home a point here that while Satan is an ominous being, we have nothing to fear. Because even if he is allowed to tempt us, and he is at times, to bring trials or even torment, God, it has to go through the hands of our Savior first. And if he allows it, then God will use it for his glory, and he will use it to transform us more into the character of our Savior. Finally, the church, too, has been a special target of satanic assault. Shortly after its founding, Satan prompted Ananias and Sapphira to corrupt the church by lying to the Holy Spirit. You guys remember that story? And you know what? So as soon as the church began, Satan showed up. Guys, don't be surprised when God starts to use you if Satan doesn't show up. Don't be surprised when God's doing a work in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in the ministry God's called you to, if the enemy's not right there waiting for you to try to thwart what God wants to do. Satan made tax attacks upon the church by bringing unbelievers in, mixing the wheat with the tares. He tormented Paul with a a thorn in his flesh and by, again, tempting and persecuting and discouraging believers. But God allowed these things to happen and he will fulfill his purposes in spite of them through the saints, these saints, the servants of God. So finally, I'm telling you all this because now as we come to the text, in the future, we're looking in the future, remember, right? Right? Things which were 
Chapter 1, things which are. Chapter 2 and 3, that's where we are now, the church age. Things which are to come. Chapter 4 on, you never see the church mentioned again. So as we look at this morning's text, and it's going to be ominous as we watch it, remember when it happens, after the church is in heaven. Remember who it happens to, those who are in rebellion against God. And remember why it happens, because our God is a gracious God who is giving people one more chance to repent. When you look at all of that, you should be encouraged by even an ominous chapter like chapter 9 of the book of Revelation. He brings righteous judgment, desiring to bring lost sinners to a place of of brokenness and repentance. So we're coming to this fifth trumpet. It's as if the Lord says to the world, okay, you've want Satan, you've asked for him, here you go. How's that working out for you? And so that's what's gonna happen. It's quite sobering thought, even as we recognize our own sin and praise God for his work of redemption in our lives, to look around at our nation and see the rebellion against God and the efforts being made to remove God and every reference to him. Guys, I know I'm taking a moment here, but we're going to get to the text in a second. But what's happened is that it's almost today as if Satan is more popular in the world we live in than God is. You know, you have all this, be it in our schools, get God out of here, get the Bible out of here from the government. Let's take in God we trust. People are are filing lawsuits to get in God we trust off of our money and under God out of our Pledge of Allegiance. Why are they so whipped up if they don't even believe he exists? But the reality is, that's the world that we live in today. People are protesting nativity scenes, and even the term Merry Christmas being used in stores. The mocking of God and His word and His commands has has gone into our schools, into our government, federally funded abortion, the recognition of same-sex marriage, no longer recognizing the National Day of Prayer. It's in our entertainment, in sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, etc., violence, drug and alcohol abuse, the worship of false gods. These are the things that we often entertain ourselves with. So as you look not only at our nation, but those that we love dearly, we are faced with the reality of God's coming righteous judgment, as he will bring his righteous judgment upon those who have rebelled against him, and in so doing have aligned themselves with Satan. The judgment we each deserve, but have been delivered from because of God's grace. So, I titled the message this morning. I don't expect there'll be a lot of CDs picked up. I titled the message this morning, Hell on Earth. Now, that's not very politically correct, is it? Not very seeker sensitive either, right? But you know what? That's what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to get a glimpse of what hell is like on earth during the Great Tribulation. So, if you're a note taker, Hell on earth, recognizing the sovereignty of God, even the attacks of the enemy. First of all, we're going to see Satan opens the pit, but only after God has given him the key. Second, Satan's demonic army is let loose upon the earth, but God controls who they can and cannot touch and what they are permitted to do and for how long. Again, I want you to notice the sovereignty of God in all of this. Thirdly, Satan's demonic army is powerful, ominous, and downright scary, but to God, they are simply tools in his hands who will be used for his his intended purpose. And then finally, Satan's plan is to still kill and destroy, but God's will is that sinners come to repentance and believers grow through the enemy's attack. So if you feel under attack this morning, if you don't know God, God's will is that that in the midst of this, you would turn to him. If you know God, His desire is that you would grow through this 
and draw nearer to him. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 1. Hell on earth. Satan opens the pit, but only after God has given him the key. Look at verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded. If you were here last week, remember we saw the first four trumpet judgments. Remember it talked about the seven angels who stood before the throne of God, each with a trumpet in his hand. And as they would sound the trumpet, the next judgment would begin. And so this is the fifth of the trumpet judgments that is about to begin. Now, the first four seal judgments and and trumpet judgments presented judgments directed against the earth. Remember the four seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Remember that? It was the Antichrist coming to earth. It was war and famine and death on earth. And then last week in the first four trumpet judgments, it was judgment upon the ecology of our, of our, of our earth, the vegetation, the seas, the fresh water, the sky or the heavens. Now the last three seals focused on heaven, not on earth, the cry of the martyrs, comet, cosmic disturbances. And the last three chump, trumpets will not speak of heaven, but of hell. And we're going to see in terms of the demonic coming up. Now notice what it says there at the end of the rest of verse 1. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Note a star fallen, not falling. So who is the fallen star from heaven? Satan, very clearly. Some have tried to interpret that to be Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're reading. It's very clearly, very clearly that this is Satan. He was the fallen one. He is the one who was cast out of heaven. And we notice again that in previous chapters, we talked about, you know, mountains coming out of the sky, but those were inanimate objects. We're going to notice that this star is referred to as him. So it very clearly is a reference to Satan, not an inanimate object. So though he is said to have fallen to the earth, it suggests that this is a reference to Lucifer, the leader of all the fallen angels. In Isaiah 14, it describes his fault. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And I want you to notice when Satan was cast down, that his favorite word is I. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. What a good lesson for us. Amen? Let's watch how often we use that in our terminology. And so we see this is Satan. He has fallen from heaven. He's been cast down to the earth. He is the fallen one. John, in his vision, sees Satan there. And it says of Satan, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The word for pit there also speaks of the abyss and refers to the abode of the demons. When Satan fell from heaven, a third of the angelic host chose to go with him. It shows that not only that it's not only humanity that doesn't get it, right? Here the angels were in the very presence of Almighty God, and they chose to follow Lucifer. That also tells us that Lucifer is, is obviously, again, spoken of as beautiful and obviously very influential. 
that even a third of the angels would leave God to follow after him. But this abyss is the abode of these fallen angels. It's where many of them would dwell. Now we know that many are roaming about on the earth, but there are those that are bound up in the pit. And at this time, they're going to be let loose. And many believe these are the worst of the worst, that the demonic influence on earth now is nothing compared to what you will see in that day. Now, this is what we hear about demons and what they do to people. In Luke 8, Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the demoniac in Gadaria. And they begged him, the demons, that he would not send them into the abyss. The demons didn't want to go into the abyss. And they're demons. Guys, hell is not a joke. Amen? Don't we see a lot of jokes about hell? Don't you see comedians talking about hell, comment strips about hell? You know, and oh, this is what hell is going to be like. No, it's not a joke. And it's far worse than we can ever imagine. And some people will say, well, why did God create hell? Why would God allow a good man to go to hell? Well, there are no good men. And there are no good women. But you know what? Hell was created for the devil. And those who go there have chosen to reject Jesus Christ and follow after him. It's very clear from the word of God. Revelation chapter 20 tells us this is where Satan will be bound during the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. So during the thousand-year reign, Satan's going to be bound. When the Lord is ruling and reigning on the earth, Satan will be bound. And won't it be a wonderful thing to be on the earth with the Lord in charge and Satan bound? Amen? Now, those who are amillennialists, they believe that that's what's happening now. Satan is chained? Really? As we've often said, it must be a really long chain, right? And God is in charge. Guys, no. When we get to the millennial kingdom, praise God, it's going to be far better than this mess. Amen? Amen? Because God will be in charge, and I can't wait. So as he is cast into the bottomless pit and shut up and a seal set on, a, set on him, so he should deceive the nations no more. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. So the bottomless pit is a place of both torment and imprisonment for the demons of fallen angels. Now, during the seven-year great tribulation, Satan is not bound there yet. And notice instead that a key to this abode of the demons is given to Satan. So why would God give a key to unlock this abode that's filled with demons and let them loose upon the earth? Why would God allow that? amazingly, he allows it to bring about his perfect will. You know, guys, God is greater than anything. And he knows what he's doing. Amen? You know, I hope we've all learned very early on that God is a lot smarter than us. And who are we to question him? You know, God, I wouldn't do things that way. Well, you're not God. Amen? Amen? I'm not God. Aren't you glad? What a mess the world would be if any of us was God. Amen? But Jude, Jude 6 describes these fallen angels. It says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. But we're going to see here in Revelation 9 that they're going to be let loose. And Second Peter says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Why do you think that Satan is 
a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not only because he lost what he believes is his place, but because he knows where he's going. You've heard, you've seen a bumper sticker, next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future, right? And he loves to condemn us about our past, but we've been redeemed and forgiven, aren't you glad? And Satan knows where he's headed, and the ultimate picture of misery loving company, the ideal for him would be all of us to go with him. If you can't be in heaven, if I can't rule and reign, I want you all with me, suffering alongside me. And then people choose to follow after him. Amazing. Though Satan has been given the keys to the abode of demons, he will only be able to open it when it serves God's purposes for him to do so. And again, while some demons roam on the earth and are able to do only what God allows, many believe it's the most wicked and vile of the demons that are, that are incarcerated in the abyss. Verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. As Satan opens the abyss, smoke pours out of it. Smoke like a great furnace. This type of furnace is for smelting iron you know, the, or the burning of earthen vessels. There's intense heat and smoke that comes billowing out of the center of the earth. And it comes out in such uh, volume that it says there, the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So much smoke will pour out of the abyss that the sun and the air will be darkened by it. It reminds me of, I used to live in Washington, and it reminds me of when Mount St. Helens erupted. And anybody who lived where you know the, the breeze was blowing downwind from Mount St. Helens, it was like, you know, nighttime at noon because all of the ash that came up out of the earth and all the smoke and the, the, all the things, all the part, the ash, all that part of the volcano just blocked out the sun. And that's what's going to happen. Now, you got to remember that, and we'll see this, that as this is taking place, the man has been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent, and he's refused to. But now... The judgment is getting kicked up a notch. So the smoke polluting the skies represents the corruption of hell being belched forth from the abyss to pollute the world. And again, the pit is opened, unlocking the power of hell upon a rebellious world. So hell on earth, Satan opens the pit, but only after God has given him the key. Now second, Satan's demonic army is let loose upon the earth, but God controls who they can and cannot touch, what they're permitted to do, and for how long. Look at verse 3. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So out of this vast, billowing, ominous cloud that darkened the sky and caused a panic among the earth's inhabitants, John saw a new terror emerge, and he describes them as being locusts. Now, locusts are insects known for wiping out vegetation. A swarm of locusts can come in and wipe out a crop in hours. And they can stay for months and wipe out every bit of vegetation in their path. As a matter of fact, the life of a locust is five months. And we're going to see how that plays into this morning's text. 
One of the plagues that God had poured out on unrepentant Egypt was the locust. But these locusts are not natural locusts. They're far, far worse. As we're going to see, these are vile demons who take on the visible form of something that resembles a locust, and they swarm out of the abyss to plague the earth. And like locusts, they will bring swarming destruction. But as we will see from their description, they are not natural locusts. They are something like a locust. Again, he sees this. He describes it the best way that he can can put into words. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but some people believe that these are Apache helicopters that are sent up. I believe they're, lo- they're locusts. They, they look like locusts. They're demons that come out of the abyss. And when they come out, they're going to wreak havoc upon the earth. And it says, And it was given to them power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. A natural locust has the ability, when in large numbers, to bring about massive destruction upon, upon, upon plant life but has no real power to bring physical harm to men. Have anybody run from a locust? There's locusts, run away. No, that doesn't happen. I mean, they're grasshoppers, okay? Nobody runs from a grasshopper. But guess what? These locusts are going to be different. They're going to have the stings of a scorpion. They're going to have the power to inflict pain. Has anybody here ever been stung by a scorpion? Okay, was it any fun? I don't think so, okay. I've been bit by wasps, stung by a wasp. That's no fun. My understanding is scorpion, a lot worse, right? You go, if you see a scorpion on your side, we don't see him. When I lived in the desert, we would see him. You don't go pick him up, right? Bad idea, right? Now, these locusts come up out of the ground, and they have a sting like a scorpion. Now, some of the symptoms of a sting from these potentially deadly species include severe convulsions, paralysis, including a a deep trouble breathing, as well as swelling and numbness where you are bitten, and it's said to be incredible pain. Now, there are many different species of scorpions, and they all have a different level of pain that is poured out, but I promise you, these are the worst. And God's allowed it. And people are troubled when they read stuff like this. But remember... This is revealing the nature and character of God. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You know what? Our God loves us enough to bring us to the end of ourselves that we might look up. Amen? Amen? And whatever he has to do to bring us there, is it worth it? Of course it is. So they devour everything in their path, but in this case, they're inflicting pain so severe on men that they will be crying out to die to escape the excruciating pain. These locusts that come out are being given this power by God. God's going to allow these demonic hordes previously imprisoned to descend upon the earth like a swarm of destructive locusts inflicting severe pain upon the unrepentant and the rebellious. Notice again who they are allowed to touch. We'll talk about that more as we move on. Look at verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these demonic beings were not to follow, again, the focus of the first four trumpets, where they wipe out creation, but instead, these were sent out by God to bring judgment upon men. But notice, not all men. They were not allowed to touch 
those who had the seal of God upon them. Now we saw last week, or two weeks ago, the 144,000. 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel who will be marked with the seal of God. And so it, of course, includes them and maybe only them. But most believe that many will come to Christ who will be sealed during that time as well. And that's possible. But all those who have been sealed by God, the enemy will not have power over. And what's interesting is when you look in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, when you look at the passage that speaks about this in detail, he talks about the mark, and the Hebrew word there is ta. And the word, that, that letter ta in Hebrew looks like a small cross. And so these who are sealed have the cross upon their forehead. Guys, in Egypt, they were delivered out of bondage. Why? Because they had the cross. They were delivered from the angel of death, passed over because they were in the cross, the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost. And now those who are sealed with the shape of the cross, the name of God the Father and God the Son, tau in, it looks like a little cross, upon their forehead, they would be delivered from the attacks of the enemy. Guys, if we want to have victory over the enemy, we must walk in the power of the cross. Amen. And we must be redeemed by his shed blood upon the cross. And so notice that God allows them to come, but he limits who they can touch. Now, does God allow the enemy to tempt us sometimes? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. But with that temptation, does he not make a way of escape? It's an opportunity when the Lord allows the enemy to tempt us for us to grow. Is it possible he would even allow the enemy to torment us? The answer is yes. Look at Job. But even in our torment, God allows it that we might grow in character and in our faith in Him. Guys, God knows what He's doing. Trust Him. You know, when your kids are little, they don't like swats, right? But sometimes a swat is necessary to help conform our kids, right? To teach them the truth. The Lord allows us to go through difficulties so that we might learn and grow and be molded into his image. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, and the Lord knows who are his. Aren't you glad that even when everything is breaking loose around us, that God knows that you belong to him? God doesn't overlook you, forget you for not even a second. You're his child. He loves you. You're his treasured possession. And even when it doesn't seem like it to us in our finite minds, God always has his eyes and his hands upon us. He's not wringing his hands in heaven, worried about the mess that we're in now. Amen? He's a faithful God who knows. And his eyes are upon us. So, in the time of the great tribulation, those with the mark of the beast and aligning themselves with Antichrist and Satan will endure righteous judgment. But those who have been marked by God, God will protect. Look at verse 5. It says, And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So notice that even what the demons can do, and those that are, even those that are lost in a rebellion, 
See, here's God's hand of protection even upon those who haven't been redeemed yet. How many of you know in your heart of hearts that God was protecting you even before you were saved because he knew that one day you would be? Amen? You can look back and go, oh man, when I was in rebellion, I should have been dead like eight times. And God protected me because he knew one day I would be his. That's the God that we serve. And so even those things that happen to the unredeemed must pass through the hand of God first. And so he limits not only who this pain would come upon, this attack of the demons would come upon, but also how long it would last. And it's going to last for five months. Their purpose and their period of time is expressly governed by God. The devil nor, nor his followers can do anything without God's permission. They could torment the men, but they were unable to kill them. When you read that verse, who do you think of? Job. Remember that? Consider my servant Job. Satan's there accusing the brother, brethren. The Lord says, look at my servant Job, and Job paraphrasing here. Oh yeah, well he serves you because he's rich. And he's got everything. If I had his life, I'd worship you too. You let me touch him for a while. Let's see how much he loves you. And the Lord says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. And we see all the things that follow after that. But in the end, Job remained faithful and came out the other end, a more godly man because of it. And God restored many times over all that he had lost. So here's the case with these who are still unredeemed. Even though they're deserving a righteous judgment, even though they're deserving to be put to death as you and I were in our sin, he still says, you can't kill him. For the next five months, this is amazing when you think about it, there's no death on the earth. Now usually that would be a good thing, right? Nobody died on the earth for five months. We'd all wonder what in the world is going on. Nobody's died. The morticians wouldn't be happy, but the rest of us would be feeling pretty good, right? But guess what? In this case, we're going to see that death is something they're going to long for. Here we see the true colors of the demonic realm as they come forth from the pit, and they're going to seek, and they would love to, kill even their most ardent followers. You know, Satan wants people to follow him, but you know what he would do to his greatest followers if given even an opportunity? Kill them. And they say, oh, yeah, follower Satan. This is, you, know, you see T-shirts, you see people going to where there's mute, and they think they're following somebody, and that very person they're following and placing their allegiance to is the very one who wants nothing more than to torment them and destroy them and send them to an eternity of torment. That's what Satan wants to do. Few things are sadder than to see people in their ignorance or in straightforward rebellion pledging their allegiance to the very one who would love to do nothing more than to kill them and to send them to an eternity in hell. Jesus said concerning the devil that he is the thief that does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundant. Satan wants to destroy you. God wants to give you abundant life. And guys, we serve one or the other. Choose today whom you're going to serve. You know, Satan always hides his hooks, though. He's not going to show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and say, come follow me. He's not going to do that. First of all, he doesn't look like that. I don't know who made that up, but that's not going to happen. But he does have lures, and he does have hooks. And some of the things he uses 
Again, everything from physical pleasure to spiritual enlightenment. He plays on the discouraged and the depressed in hopes that they will remain in a state of constant depression and hopelessness, and better yet, that they might commit suicide. When suicide is committed, that is Satan's ultimate victory. If you've ever contemplated suicide, you need to know that there's a God who loves you and he will bring you through whatever this struggle is. And it's the enemy who tries to lie to you and tell you that that's an answer. Guys, that's not an answer. That's out of the frying pan and into the fire. It doesn't get better. It gets worse for those who don't know God. He sells a false sense of peace and, you know, through the use of, of drugs and alcohol. It desires nothing more than for addiction to result in destruction and death. It's interesting that in Scripture, the word for sorcery is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmaceuticals. And one of Satan's biggest lures, along with going after those who are depressed and anxious and work, is to use drugs and alcohol to draw people into a place where they dumb down the conscience, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they will align themselves with him. He desires to be worshipped more than anything. And sadly, much of the music today just does, does just that. It worships and honors Satan. And if you don't think that that impacts you, how many of you have ever seen the, the series, They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll? If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. I think we got a copy here somewhere. We probably should show it. It's amazing how, have you ever noticed how emotionally wrapped up we get in music? You can listen to a song and you'll remember 20-something years ago, where you were. It'll bring smells back to mind, right? The enemy knows that, and he will use music to influence people. Most know that the Columbine killers, right? Harris and Klebold were heavily influenced by the music of a man by the name of Marilyn Manson. Have you ever heard of Marilyn Manson? Okay, that's not a good thing, really, right? But here's the reality. He named himself, his name was Brian Warner, and he grew up in a Christian home. But he named himself after Marilyn Monroe, someone who committed suicide, and Charles Manson, a mass murderer. And his music, this self-proclaimed high priest of the Church of Satan, openly mutilates himself on stage. He rips up Bibles. He spews blasphemies against the Lord. He has altar calls at concerts for teenagers to accept Satan as their savior. So if your kids have any Marilyn Manson at home, Find a hammer. Amen? Amen? He has a song called Kill, Kill, Kill that one of the Columbine, or Columbine shooters uh, noted as his favorite song. And as they were running through Columbine and shooting up their fellow students, they were screaming at the top of their lungs, Marilyn Manson rules. Marilyn Manson sings a song and sells T-shirts at his concerts that say, Kill Your Parents. He's not alone. I'm only pointing this out because, you know, we live in our Christian bubble sometimes and we don't recognize what's going on around us. And the enemy is, will use any method he can to get people to worship him. You know, another very, very popular song, and I, I, I don't know how this happened, but it's become the theme song for like seemingly every high school football team in America. All my boys played high school football. I'd go to their games, and especially when we'd go play to get a public school, at some point, someone's going to play Hell's Bells by ACDC. I'm, I'm like, 
And I watch as kids are warming up to play football, and the parents who listened to that music in the 80s are singing along to Hell's Bells. And I'm like, and I just, and I go, I'm not trying to get too far off track. I just want you to hear this, because this is what's going on around us. Here's the, Here's the lyrics. I'm rolling thunder, a pouring rain. I'm coming on like a hurricane. My lightning's flashing across the sky. You're only young, but you're gonna die. I won't take no prisoners, won't spare no lives. Nobody's putting up a fight. I got my bell. I'm gonna take you to hell. I'm gonna get you. Satan get you. Hell's bells. And I'm at a football game and everybody's singing this. Guys, hell's not a joke. Amen? My point is that hell is a very real place, and sadly, most of the world's population is headed there. And our burden ought to be not to sing about it, but to warn people about it. To love them enough that every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Most of Satan's lures are not so blatant, but Satan's ultimate goal is to keep people from the truth and to do whatever it takes to take as many people as he can to hell with him. Again, it's not to be joked about. It's a place of intense heat, of the unquenchable lake of fire, eternal torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, of eternal separation from God, with total memory of every time you rejected God's grace. A quick contrast between heaven and hell. We can't do it justice. But heaven is perfect and holy and painless and it's in the precious presence of our almighty god in hell there's weeping in heaven there's worshiping in hell there's torment in heaven there's joy in hell there's a lake of fire in heaven there's the throne of god in hell there's satan and his demons and in heaven almighty god and the angelic host in hell there's cries of anguish and in heaven there's no more pain no more sorrow no more sickness and no more death in hell suffering will be there with no end in sight in heaven rejoicing with our god our eyes firmly focused on him heaven is god's plan for creation and hell is satan's abode heaven or hell i think pretty easy choice amen but don't you meet people sometimes that say i'd rather go hell sounds like more fun to me really well you know yeah that's where all the partiers are going hell is not going to be a party amen i'm going to be walking around shaking hands with all my friends for the first ten thousand years i'm there you know that's it's not even something to be joked about Satan's ultimate desire is to destroy people and to take as many as possible with them to hell. But praise God that his actions are under God's control and he can't torment, torture, or tempt without God's permission. It says there, we're not given the authority to kill, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So five months is the average lifespan of a locust and the torment was for a set time. Notice, like the torment of a scorpion. And again, those stings are very painful. They bring about heavy results. So why would God allow them to be tormented for so long, yet not permit these demonic creatures to kill them? One clear purpose is to bring repentance. God allows them to be tormented, but not to die, because his desire is that they would turn to him and repent. His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. In the midst of their temporal suffering upon the earth, it's not too late to be saved. And again, as soon as something dies, it's too late for redemption. So praise God. You know, sometimes we pray for people 
that God would do whatever's necessary to get their attention that they might be saved. And then something heavy comes upon them and we're bummed. Sometimes you need to recognize that that's an answer to prayer. God may do that, make them go through difficulty temporally so they might be saved eternally. Verse 6. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. It's amazing to think, again, that for five months there will be no death upon the earth, but while normally this would be a good thing, here it will not. In that day, in the eyes of those who dwell on the earth, all hope is gone. When we get to the, to the fifth trumpet judgment, all hope is gone. What's the earth going to look like? All the creation they had once worshipped has been decimated. They look around and what do they see? A land ravaged by earthquakes and volcanoes. The sea filled with putrefying bodies of billions of dead creatures. Much of the fresh water has turned into bitter poison. The atmosphere is polluted with gases and showers of heavenly debris. Then worst of all will come the foul smoke from the pit of hell as demons are released to spiritually and physically torment those who have refused to repent and remain in their sin. The dream of the worldwide utopia under the leadership of the Antichrist will be long gone by then. And driven mad by the filth and vileness of the demonic infestation, people will seek relief in death only to find that death has taken a holiday. There's going to be no escape. What's that a picture of? You're in total torment and pain and you can't escape. That's hell. It truly will be hell on earth. All attempts at suicide be it by gunshot, drowning, leaping from a tall building, they're all going to fail. I don't know what's going to happen. If you're just going to face all the pain that would come from it, but you'll not be able to escape in the midst of it. They will desire to die. The tormented ones want to die. You know, Paul wanted to die at one point, remember? But he had a heavenly perspective. It's far better. You know, heaven's better. You know, Paul had been caught up into heaven. He saw it. And after he saw it, that guy was you know, as brave as anybody ever, right? Because you couldn't threaten him with heaven. They stoned the death of Lystra. He lays there like a dead man. He gets caught. I believe that's when he got caught up into heaven. He sees heaven. It's no wonder to me that when he got back to the earth, he's like, dude, why why am I back here? So he marches right back into Lystra where they had stoned him the first time to witness to them with boldness, maybe half hoping they would do it again. (laughs) I've been in heaven. This place, not so much, right? But for him, it was a desire to be with the Lord. For these people who are tormented, it's a desire to escape. The idea of death as an escape is a demonic deception. It's the very same enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, who deceives those who are hurting and angry or depressed that death is an escape from their current trial or circumstances to a far better place. Remember I talked about the Columbine killers? The videotape they left for their parents, one of them said to his parents, I don't like my life much right now, but don't worry, I'm going to a far better place. I'm going to go kill all my fellow students and then I'm going to end up in a better place. No, you're not. That is a lie of the enemy. What a tragic deception. There's no escape in death for Eric Harrow, or Dylan Klebold, nor is there any escape for anyone who believes that a better place can be found apart from brokenness and repentance. 
The cure for depression, anxiety, fear, and worry is not suicide. It's entering into a love relationship with the one who created you, died for you, and longs to have intimate fellowship with you. Hell on earth. Satan opens the pit, but only after God has given him the key. Satan's demonic army is let loose upon the earth, but God controls who they can and cannot touch, what they're permitted to do, and for how long. Satan's demonic army is powerful and ominous and downright scary, but to God they are simply tools in his hands who will be used for his intended purpose. Now let's take a look at what these locusts look like. And again, he's trying his best, and he's going to use the word like a lot. And when he does, it means it looks kind of like this. I don't know how to describe this. But here's what it looks kind of like. Look at verse 7. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Maybe they had some type of armor draped over them. In John's day, when they would go out to battle and they would lead out a chariot, often they would have something draped over them to protect them as they went out into battle. It says there, not only did they have like horses prepared for battle, on their heads were crowns of something like gold. He doesn't know if it's gold or not, but looks kind of gold. He's not sure what it's made of, but these crowns may indicate that these are high-ranking demons. Then it says, and their faces were like the faces of men. So these are obviously not just normal locusts. There's some that looks like it. They come spewing out of the, the abyss, and they have human faces. Now, this doesn't sound like a helicopter to me. I don't know. Does that sound like a helicopter? That sounds like Something that he can't describe, but it's a demonic being, not an Apache helicopter. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like lion's teeth. They had hair, long hair, with outward beauty. You know how often evil outwardly appears attractive, doesn't it? It's enticing to our senses, but if we take the bait, again, the harm, it will harm or even destroy us. Like lion's teeth terrifying and fierce it says and they and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron so designed to protect the vital organs and preserve the life of a soldier and this symbolizes that this demon horde is invulnerable to attack and then it says and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle as they move about they produce a loud and ominous sound and john compares their sound to a moving army And then it says in verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. So their tails with their stingers look like scorpions' tails. So the shape of a locust, like a horse uh, horse prepared for battle, golden crowns, faces of men, women's hair, lion's teeth, iron breastplate, ominous sounding wings, tails like scorpions with stingers. Wow. Now, I, went, I, I thought, I'm going to go on the internet and see if anybody has tried to draw this. It's the amazing thing about the internet. There's a lot of bad stuff there, but I thought, and now, we're going to put this up. You're going to have to take a second to try to recognize it. I have no idea if this is even close. But I don't know if you can see that. But coming out of the middle there, you see like the abyss, and you see these locusts blowing out of there by the millions. And then up close, you see these locust-looking beings with the faces of men and gold crowns on their face and the teeth of lions, and you see men hiding. Yeah, I'd be hiding too. Amen? I have no idea if that's even close. But when I look at that, I just look at that because I'm thinking, I'm so glad I'm not going to be here for this. Amen? But this is still 
God's desire to reach out to sinful man because even those who are there can still repent, can't they? It's not too late as long as we're alive. Again, I believe they are demonic creatures, hard to describe in human terms, but again, instruments of awesome cruelty. Their power was to hurt men five months. Again, here we have their sole mission to hurt men. Not unlike their king who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, the nature of this full-scale demonic torment will drive people to seek death and not find it. And again, the other results of demonic torment we see in Scripture. In Gadaria, they were so tormented by demons, they went insane and lived in tombs. In Matthew chapter 4, all about Galilee, Jesus encountered tormented demoniacs. In Matthew 8, a centurion servant was tormented with paralysis. In Mark 9, a demon-possessed boy kept throwing himself into fire and in water, trying to destroy himself. Nothing will compare, though, to the wholesale torment of the fifth trumpet judgment upon all the world's inhabitants who are not sealed by God. This still reveals the character of our God, that he is a God who desires that none should perish, no, not one. Finally, Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy, but God's will is that sinners come to repentance and believers grow to the enemy's attack. Look at verse 11. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Who is that? That's Satan. Whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Now what's interesting, both of those words mean destruction or destroyer. And it's interesting that his name is the same in Greek and in Hebrew. Why? Because he seeks to destroy Jew and Gentile alike. He's an equal opportunity destroyer. He had, there's not one that he doesn't want to destroy. He seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy. He comes as an angel of light, but seeks, has only one thing in mind, to torment and destroy man. We must never doubt the wisdom of God lest we begin to think this five months of torment is cruel and unusual punishment. We must always recognize it for what it really is. It's God's incredible grace. I know I keep repeating this because I want you, when you think of the book of Revelation, is think of God's righteous judgment, but also God's incredible grace. That he is going to judge sin because he must. But even as he judges sin... Up until the very end, he is giving people an opportunity to repent and to turn unto him. God loves each of us enough to do whatever it takes to bring us to the end of ourselves that we might look up. And any amount of suffering that gets us to look up is worth it. Finally, the last word there. Verse, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Most believe by the time you get to the end of the fifth trumpet judgment, a fourth of the world's population is already dead. In the sixth trumpet judgment, a third of the remaining of humankind will die. One woe is past, two more are coming, and that third woe encompasses all seven of the bold judgments that are the worst yet. This is not a picnic. This is heavy stuff. At the end of the five months, there will be nothing more than a brief sigh of relief before more fearful judgments will follow upon those who continue to walk in rebellion and refuse to repent. Here's been my prayer this week. 
If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you have not been born again. You have not been sealed by his Holy Spirit. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, that your eternity hangs in the balance. Some have said, well, hellfire and brimstone messages, you know, I don't really like those. You know, I love them because it's better to be told about hellfire than to experience it. Amen? And literally, and please don't take this wrong and don't be offended, but I would hope that this morning's text, along with those that follow, will literally scare the hell out of you. Amen? Because that's where we're headed apart from Jesus Christ. But praise the Lord that while we were headed there, he sent his son to suffer and die in our place. He hung upon the cross of Calvary. He took all of our sin upon himself. And he says to each one of us this morning, I died for you. I'm offering you the free gift of salvation. He offers it universally, but it must be accepted individually. Your parents can't accept it for you, though they would love to. Your friends can't do it. Going to church won't do it. At some point, you must repent. And that word, it's not a popular word today, but it means I was going in this direction and now I have turned around from the person I used to be and I've surrendered my life completely to Jesus Christ. For those of you who do not know the Lord this morning, it's time to make a U-turn, to turn around, to repent, to surrender your life to him, not just as Savior, but Lord. Not just the get out of hell free card that keeps me from hell, but to surrender our life and make him Lord of my life and say, Lord, rule and reign. May your Holy Spirit come upon me. Help me to live and follow you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that indeed today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I thank you for those of us who have surrendered our lives to you, that we have the promise of heaven, not because we deserve it or we've earned it, but because of your grace. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. It's as simple as this. In one way, it's simple, but really it's a heavy thing. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. You confess you're a sinner and ask him to be your savior. And you know what? He will forgive you. He will make you a new creation in Christ and you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. And he'll give you a down payment on heaven right now in the person of the Holy Spirit. If that's your desire today, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So it's time to make a public confession. And if we can't confess him in here, we're certainly not going to do it out in the world. So if it's your desire to give your life, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to be born again today, to know for sure that you're going to heaven, I want you just to stand to your feet where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you. Anybody. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. That you are a loving, a merciful, and a gracious God. And we thank you that even in the greatest trials of life, even when we may feel like Satan is camped out at our house, Lord, that nothing happens to us that doesn't go through your hands first. That you're a sovereign God, a faithful God, and you're in control. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you've forgiven us and redeemed us. We can't wait to be in heaven with you forever. Lord, we pray for our unsafe family and friends. We ask in Jesus' name that you would soften their hearts even today. 
Give us divine appointments. Bring others into their path, Lord, that they might hear the truth of the gospel. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.